0: O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. (laughs) Who are our prophets? In other words, when there is a tough truth to be heard, who are we willing to listen to? As I said last Sunday, this Advent, the sermons are all going to be based on the colics for the season. Today, we heard merciful God who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins. It's a deep and profound prayer but one that is utterly useless if we are not willing to receive feedback or correction. The question of who our prophets are is a particularly important one in our society. If someone says something that we disagree with, we can just dismiss them and say, well, I see things differently, or that's your opinion. Now to be clear, I am not at all suggesting that we should always agree with everyone. A lot of invigorating and healthy dialogue is based on a difference of opinion. The issue is when we outright dismiss those ideas or the people who hold them instead of engaging in thoughtful pondering or conversation. And this intellectual narcissism is destroying our communities, our political structures, our churches, our families and friendships, and our psyches. We have become so accustomed to everything being tailored for us that we struggle to receive information we don't like. Almost everything these days is customizable. Every app and piece of technology remembers our user preferences, which if I'm honest, is quite nice. I like that when I turn on my computer, it knows who I am and it is set up exactly how I left it. The problem is that we have become conditioned to expect everything is going to meet our individual expectations. We live in a user-centric environment where we are used to always having it our way. If you don't like how CNN presents the news, that's fine. You just go to NPR or Fox or The Times or The Journal. If you don't trust mainstream media at all, that's fine. You Get your news from TikTok or Instagram. Get offended when someone has the audacity to be a human being who makes a mistake? Well, we just shame them and cancel them. You all might've heard that the National Cathedral a couple weeks ago worked themselves into a fiasco of sorts when they decided that they needed to charge a required $7 ticketing fee to reserve a seat at Christmas Eve. Swiftly, the public shaming came and the vitriol was excessive and unchristian. Now, in this particular situation, the cathedral made, made a mistake. The dean freely admits that. But everyone was so quick to pile on. The point is that in our culture of cancellation, if we disagree with anyone, we can shun them, exile them, unfollow them on social media, live our lives without ever having to engage with an idea that we don't like. Now the epitome of this problem is seen in that phrase, fake news, or post-truth. And to be very clear, I'm not talking about politics, but the world we live in. In 2005, on an episode of the Colbert Report, comedian Stephen Colbert coined the word truthiness to mean the belief that a particular statement is true based on our perception of it without regard to evidence, logic, or facts. The question before us is no longer what is true, but what do I want to be true? As we've seen in pandemics and elections, our society is now one in which we are entitled not only to our own opinions, but we can now have our own truths. And as Christians, this ought to deeply disturb us. Because we gather in the name of the one who came among us and said, the truth shall make you free. He said of himself that he is the way and the life, but also the truth. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna hear it read. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. One way to understand what the word word means is that it's the, the, the logic the reason, the overarching truth of all things. And so if the truth is something subjective, something that you could take or leave, something we all get our own versions of, well, then we are rejecting the God of truth and committing idolatry. Now, yes, I realize the danger of what I am saying. Who gets to be the arbiter of this truth? Because whoever gets to define what is true would have tremendous power to set agendas and priorities, to include and exclude, and horrendous evils have been done to marginalized groups because those in power who got to define truth abused that power. People have been dehumanized, vilified, and ignored because those in power did not want to recognize the truth of their sacred dignity. In the name of orthodoxy, people have been jailed and executed for not adhering to a particular interpretation of the truth. None of that is good, and it is not at all what I am advocating for. Instead, I'm simply asking a question. Who are our prophets? When are we willing to listen to a truth that is not ours? Who is it that we are willing to be corrected by? Who is able to speak truthfully to us in a way that will convict us instead of making us want to cancel them? This week, the Collect, as well as the readings from Isaiah and Mark, hold up the godly vocation of the prophets. Prophets are not those who tell the future. They are not foretellers. Rather, the prophets are forth, tellers They speak forth the truth of God into our lives. And there's an easy way to know if they are telling us a godly truth or a human lie. Is it something that we would expect Jesus to say? Jesus always includes, always expands, always challenges injustice, always extends mercy, always offers peace, always loves. Now we can have some good disagreements about what exactly it means to challenge injustice, but if it's less than love, then it is less than the truth. The prophets are those who remind us that God is love, that God has prepared a way of love for us to follow in, and God intends for us actually to walk the way of love by the Spirit. In Isaiah, the prophet speaks on God's behalf, saying, Comfort, O comfort ye my people. Now the prophets not only challenge us by nudging us towards justice, sometimes they help us with our own self-doubts and criticisms. We need prophets because they remind us that the first word from God is always a word of comfort. You are enough. You are loved. So much of our sin comes when we doubt that we are loved or that we are enough. And so we end up manipulating people and systems to try to get more, to find something that will assuage those feelings of inadequacy. But it is as St. Augustine said centuries ago, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. The prophets, though, speak a word of comfort that challenges our assumption that we don't deserve God's love, that we need to do more and be better, that's a lie. You are enough. And we all need a prophet to remind us of the comfort of that truth. Prophets like Isaiah remind us that though we are enough, we are not perfect. Isaiah writes that the valleys will be lifted and the mountains and hills be made low. In other words, some things need to change to prepare the way of the Lord. It is simply a truth that there are some who have too much and too many who have not enough. A good prophet also helps us to keep our ego in check. Isaiah records, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In other words, we are not the main character. Our lives are all fading, and the purpose of our life is not to maximize our enjoyment, our wealth, our opportunities, or our reputation. Rather, we are here to be a part of the beloved community of God. Now, naturally, many of us have accomplishments that we are proud of, and that's good. Prophets, though, help us to remember that we have received so much more from God and others than we can ever accomplish on our own. Prophets call us to humility, being in a right-sized relationship with God and others. The other prophet in front of us this morning is John the Baptizer, who, as the collect puts it, calls us to repent and forsake our sin. Now the word repent, it does not mean to say you're sorry or make an apology. Sure, sometimes that shows forth our repentance, but repenting is not just about saying certain words. To repent is to change your mind. So if you wanted to repent of stealing, you would not necessarily need to make an apology or make restitution for what you've stolen or receive punishment or anything like that. No, to repent of stealing would be to fundamentally understand that our needs do not outweigh the rights of others. That our desire to have more does not mean that we actually are entitled to more. That others are not those we are in competition with, rather they are part of the body of Christ with us. Repentance is about recognizing the error of our ways and committing to amendment of life. And those are the prophets we tend to reject. When Amos and Micah called the people of Israel to repent, they were ostracized and rejected. John the baptizer will be beheaded and Jesus crucified. And it's not just people a long time ago who didn't like having prophets around. Our world has killed Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King, and Oscar Romero, all ministers of the gospel, who had a prophetic word for their society, and all who were killed for it. We don't like to be told that we've gotten it wrong, that we've made a mistake, that we need to change. Those who hold up those mirrors of truth, who show us how we've gotten away from the way of love, who reveal to us that we are not perfect and we do not know everything, are often met with resistance, dismissal and cancellation. One of the problems with our society and our personal lives is that we just don't have any prophets. Again, we just dismiss criticism as just their opinion. We reject the idea of God's grace saying, that's just too good to be true. And we ignore information that challenges our priorities and narratives. And by the same token, many of us have become afraid to speak a loving and godly word of truth when a word needs to be spoken. We convince ourselves, well, it's not really any of my business. Or it wouldn't be polite for me to comment on that. Or they might not like me anymore if I told them the truth. We are afraid to tell the truth. And we are afraid to hear it. But without the prophets, it is that much harder for us to walk the way of salvation, to foster beloved community, to find reconciliation, to receive mercy. It's awfully hard to be transformed by forgiveness if we insist that we have done nothing to be forgiven for. It is unlikely that our society is ever going to be more loving if we can only blame others instead of recognizing our own sins and shortcomings. It's crushing to have to create our own sense of meaning and worth instead of holding dear to that comforting message of grace, that we are enough. So again, I put forth the question, who are our prophets? Who reminds us that we are always loved? Who calls us to return when we go astray? Now, many of us need several prophets, just as Scripture has many prophets. So it might be a spouse or a partner who is a prophet in one part of our life. Maybe it's a friend somewhere else. A newspaper columnist might be a prophet for you. It might be a priest. It might be a child. It might be a stranger. A hymn can deliver prophecy. The sacraments of baptism and Eucharist can be prophetic. A piece of art, a sunset, a blossoming rose can be a prophet. The thing about prophets is that prophets are simply messengers of God, and anyone can carry a message from God. The prophets remind us that our task is to be bold in delivering and bold in listening to the truth of God. There are plenty of prophets out there because God's word pours forth abundantly. The question for us to wrestle with is, are we willing to have a prophetic word spoken to us? Are we willing to be corrected and see things differently? Are we willing to listen when the Lord speaks?